Welcome to Blue Jays Happy Hour, episode 90. I am Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And the Blue Jays season is getting close. We are just over a week away, and we thought to mark the occasion there are eight days until the Blue Jays open their season. So today we're going to talk about eight things we are looking out for in 2023. I would say it's a cheap gimmick. I don't even know if it's elaborate enough to be a gimmick. Uh, it's a structure, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, it's recognizable. It's like, you know, an audio listicle. And I know you got you guys like listicles from a reading perspective. So it's no different than that. And uh, we got eight things to go through. Approximately five minutes each, I think, we will give them. But also uh, not going to hold to that too closely. So let's just kick it off with what I think is, you know, this is a story that's been... I don't want to say buried, but it was sort of when they were, the Blue Jays were first making their offseason acquisitions. This was front and center, and obviously things have happened since that have pushed it to the side. But one thing I'm really interested in this year is the outfield defense, because it has been dismal. It has been brutal for years. We knew that the Gurriel-Teoscar combo wasn't going to work. There was a time when it looked like Teoscar was maybe finding something defensively. It never came together. Springer has always been probably more of a right fielder who can play center. And now finally, not only did you have one proper center fielder in Kiermaier, you've got Varsho in left where he's overqualified and Springer maybe in right where he's at his best. Stone, we are going to get to watch some people run around and actually catch some baseballs here. It is actually going to be very enjoyable, I think. You know, um, I was never necessarily the biggest Kevin uh, Pilar fan. Um because yeah, I I think I, I I acknowledge I'll acknowledge it, but like in my own mind, I probably do weigh uh, offense more than defense, and 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 should do better, and should consider you know defensive things more. But man, it's a, it just sucks to watch a, a guy who's a black hole at the plate. And maybe we can talk about that in terms of you know Varsho or uh, or Kumar against left-handed pitching. But uh, but yeah, it's going to be wonderful. I mean, the Astros knew five years ago that George Springer was a right fielder, so to see him move back to where he should be, I think, is a good idea and a good thing. Uh, and where he doesn't, you know, uh, doesn't have to go for every single ball. He can he can take the ones that go to left field off, uh, which I think is nice. Uh, probably better for his health overall. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to watch the new outfield uh, wall dimensions and and how all that plays into things. I think there's a part where it's like uh, one one of the one of the gaps. The fence is only eight feet high, and the fans are right there. Kiermaier is going to be coming right up in there a bunch of times, no doubt. Um, and yeah, it will absolutely be a, a, a fun a fun unit out there for as long as they're healthy, and definitely different than what we've seen before. Which you know, like you know, Guriel. Guriel could throw the baseball. Uh, some nice outfield assists from him, but uh, uh, and and maybe you know the the bad jumps or or, or the, the there are things that that you know that the the metrics capture that that maybe the the human eye doesn't. But yeah, it was not a great a great. I situation. mean, I think the human eye captured plenty <laughs> of uh, the mistakes that Guriel was making perhaps, out there. Perhaps that was true. apparent to the human eye. Um, this is not the same type of players necessarily in terms of raw speed, especially with Varsho, who's more of a, an instincts guy maybe than a raw speed guy, but. It does bring to mind to me those great Kansas City Royals outfielders where they just straight up played two center fielders, at least late in games where they had Lorenzo Cain and then they'd bring in Gerard Dyson normally for Aoki. And the Blue Jays have, you know, two center fielders straight up. Like Varsho's a center fielder, Kiermaier's a center fielder. You can probably let Varsho cover a little bit more ground than the average left fielder because he's overqualified for that position. 
Maybe that allows you to bump Kiermaier a little bit into right fin- right field, give Springer even more time off. But I know that the idea that Varsho is overqualified for left field, and I think it's going to be only a 2022, 2023 thing rather, is true. But at the same time, you can make a lot happen with elite defensive players almost regardless of where you put them, with the exception maybe of first base. And, and I am excited to see how that plays out. How if does it feel like the Blue Jays are playing with multiple center fielders out there and that, you know, a Roger center outfield in particular that is not only new, but, you know, not the biggest outfield in the league either. Uh, are we going to have that feeling? Like when the Blue Jays have played the Rays at times, there's been that feeling that when a ball goes up, mm. it's just going to get swallowed up in the gaps. Is that the feeling the Blue Jays are going to elicit this year? That that will be that will be fun. I mean, that's why Kevin Gossman's going to win the Cy Young. That's, uh, I, I I think it probably will though, right? I think that I think that that will be that feeling. And uh, you're absolutely right that the Rays have have kind of given that off, where it's like you better hit it out because you you're not getting it between any of those two guys, three guys. You mentioned Kevin Gosman, and that is uh, one of the guys I want to touch down, touch down, touch on. Uh, in these in these eight uh, things to watch for, one of them is absolutely Kevin Gosman. Because on one hand, you can say we know Gosman is going to perform like you know a top of the rotation starter. He's done that since 2020 when he broke out with the Giants, um, and maybe we quote unquote know what to expect. But on the other hand, a lot of weirdness with Gosman last season. Like he was able to bring his walk rate down as lower than it's ever been before. And so in many ways, it was his best season, but he also had a weird amount of poor defense played behind him, shifts that didn't seem to work uh, well in his favor. And so he ended up with an ERA, you know, quite a bit above his FIP. He ended up, I think it was in pitching plus, he was second in the entire MLB in terms of just the quality of his pitches. In FIP, yeah, he was second in MLB as well. So he... He had a season where I don't think people thought, oh, Kevin Gosman, that's one of the top five pitchers in all of baseball, especially outside of Toronto. But if you kind of drill down, he sort of was that guy. And it'll be interesting to see if that's something he keeps doing this season, because if he continues that level on a broad, in a broad sense, he is going to be, yeah, like a, a true ace level pitcher, a Cy Young candidate, like all those things that, you know, maybe sound kind of silly if you said to baseball fans outside Toronto, Kevin Gosman's going to win the Cy Young this year. I think a lot of times you, that would get laughter from people. People like, yeah, Gosman's he's a really good pitcher, but I don't know about that. And he could be right in that mix this year if some of the things come together. Oh, I'm I'm going to put money on it. Like literally my <laughs> own, my own money I'm going to put on it. Um, yeah, and I, like honestly, I mean, like the, it was a 363 Babbitt, I believe, off the top of my head. It was something absurd like that, and like even if even if the same you ran it back with the same defense behind him and the same shifts and everything, it, it, it would be impossible, I think, for him to have that again. Or not, you know, nothing's impossible, but you know, mathematically. But like, uh, but like, like that that was just there was an element of bad luck there, especially you know if you look at you know the quality of his stuff, and he does get hit hard sometimes. But lots of great pitchers, you know, when they when guys can put a swig on their pitches, get hit pretty hard. That's that's not anything to be super concerned about. And I think that that yeah, like just the the added luck. I like I don't want to go too far. I mean, I guess I already said I'm putting money on Cosman to win the Cy Young, so that's maybe <laughs> that's pretty maybe far as, far as, as one as far as one can go. But like, um, uh, so. 
the the like he started the year with all those games where he didn't walk guys and that kind of ticked back up at the end of the year like it was was, like it was a real crazy run off the start of the year last year uh and so like the walk rate might creep back up i wouldn't expect him to have that kind of thing in him again which but also i think that'll be fine and i think it'll all sort of you know even even out uh in terms of you know the walks and the and the babbit might might even out and uh except that i think the babbit should go back to like human levels and uh and he's just real good he's really good at the, that splitter is crazy and it, it tunnels well with the with the fastball and it, uh, guys are gonna chase constantly uh, having better outfield defense is like he will be the biggest beneficiary i think of that um and yeah, I mean, I think Kevin Gosman is going, and and also, you know, speaking of like the stuff plus stuff or the pitch plus or whatever, like the you know, you know, uh, the you know's proprietary uh, metric, which uh, he's got a cease and desist from some weirdos on Twitter, <laughs> the quality of pitch people. Um, I think like he, he you know did a piece uh, looking at the guys who've had the biggest rise based on their spring metrics. Uh, and Gosman was on the top ten of that. Like he's been even better this spring so far than he was last year, and he was one of the best guys in baseball last year in terms of those metrics. Uh, so yeah, I'm 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 all in. I'm all in on Kevin Gosman. I think it's going to be a fun year. One thing to watch with him is going to be his home run rate because last year he gave up 0.77 home runs per nine. That was probably a little bit low. Like it is weird to say that he got lucky in this respect and not the mm-hmm. other, but. I do think that probably he had more balls in play that fell for hits, but maybe fewer home runs. Looking at his expected home runs, I think he was about two below. But if that bounces back this year, then that could maybe put a little bit of a dent in some of the progress he's made because he has made progress with the control, even with the slider a little bit. I know that's not a very talked about pitch with him, but he threw that a lot more last year than he had kind of Mm. since he's broken out. And, you know, he had a big whiff rate on it. It was a 36.7% whiff rate. Like that's a proper strikeout pitch you know another weapon against right-handed hitters but i'll be watching that because you know we've discussed this before we don't really know how roger center is going to play like they keep saying it's going to be neutral because the walls are you know they're closer in but they're higher up and sure that might be the theory right now but as we all know you never know exactly what the baseball is going to be like so how does that interact with uh the new venue so there there is a world where the you know the the walls coming in do lead to more home runs and maybe that does victimize Gosman more but I yeah I I believe that he'll have at least as good a year as he did last year and that's not something you'd normally say about a guy who had you know like a five point seven WAR <laughs> and you know yeah. three thirty five ERA like he I would be surprised if he's not a fair amount better than Manoa I'll put it that way I think it's to to my eyes. He's clearly the most talented pitcher on the Blue Jays. Yeah, we all love Alec Manoa, but I'm not going to disagree with you on that. <laughs> That's all I'll say about it. So we have to say anything otherwise. All right. The third, <laughs> we'll, we'll skip Manoa. He's not on this list. I think partly just because we feel like we know what we're getting from Manoa at this point. But the sort of the third guy in the Blue Jays rotation is on this list. Maybe the fourth if Barrios has a big uh, resurgence, which is... Could be in the cards, but maybe not betting on that, is Chris Bassett. And it's, I don't know, it's tough to talk about Bassett in terms of like, oh, how is he going to perform? Because again, he is a veteran deep into his career. He's been very consistent in the last couple of years. You could bring up the home road splits. There is a real thing there where he's pitched in very favorable environments in the past. 
But when I think about Bassett, I mean, there's a couple things. One, there's the pitcher calling his own game thing that's going to happen with him, which is going to be fascinating to watch. The other thing is I'm drawn to what is the experience of watching Bassett start in, start out going to be like? Because, you know, it's not like we've never seen him before, but his approach is so damn complicated, for lack of a better term. Like, he's got so many pitches, um, and he's trying to do a lot with a repertoire that is... You know, now smoke and mirrors is unfair, but it's, you know, he just doesn't have big time velocity. And so he's just mixing, matching in this crazy way. My thought is like, is that going to be, you know, fascinating and fun to watch? Or is it actually going to be a little bit difficult to follow? Is he going to be the anti R.A. Dickey where you watch Dickey and you're like, okay, well, I think it's going to be another knuckleball. Whereas <laughs> when you watch Bassett, is it going to be like, I don't know what this is going to be at all. Maybe this is just me. Maybe some people are happy to just sit back and not try and think about what the pitches might be, but uh, I'm finding that a daunting possibility. Yeah, I wonder if it's maybe going to be like Ryu-like, where when it works, you're like, oh, oh boy, he's carving him up, and then when it sort of <laughs> slips a bit, it's uh, it's a bit it's a bit of a tough watch. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that the Jays have had a guy quite quite like this, you know, despite my Ryu uh, analogy. Uh, for a while and it's uh like you say he's a veteran he's a guy who i think you know much like brandon belt uh he's like he's been open about like oh i'm not i'm not throwing as hard as like i'm not gonna throw as hard as i can in spring training like he there's there's more velocity to come he's being very deliberate about getting his work in in the spring which you know that's that's veterans are able to do that he's got his his job is locked up you know he's really can just prepare for the season, which a lot of Blue Jays guys are, and that's why the, the spring hasn't been like super exciting. But uh, so you know, I expect to see like I, I expect that what I've seen from him pitching for the Blue Jays in spring training is 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 not not like going. I'm not going to extrapolate from that over the rest of the year. I sure as hell hope not, because it hasn't been like it has not been jaw dropping or 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 inspiring to any stretch. I mean. He still looks like the number three because Barrios was terrible at the WBC, but um, but he's genuinely a guy like he pitched for the Mets in the playoffs. Like he is a guy who can take the ball in October, and uh, and and we've seen that. And I think you're right that the home road splits are going to be interesting. And I think you're also right that like I look, I'm not I'm not I'm not a maths guy per se. I just know what my gut tells me, and I'm like those this ball this park is not going to play neutral, especially when you get rid of this uh, all the. All the uh, foul territory in the in the second phase of the renovation. I'm like, well, who who are they trying to kid? Whatever, that's fine. But I I would be very surprised if we played neutral. Um, even though, yes, I am I'm familiar with the concept that if, if you raise the fence, you can bring it in and it will it will be a wash. Uh, but yeah, Bassett, I don't know, uh, will be a, will be a fascinating guy, I think, and hopefully will be good enough to not be frustrating. But if it if it does not go well, it would probably end up being kind of frustrating. One thing I'm interested with is, like, let's say Bassett struggles out of the game as a couple of really rough starts. I don't know how many, four, five, six. It's interesting when a pitcher has, you know, she has poor outings and then, but they have the layer of blame with not necessarily like they're going to blame the catcher, like he called a garbage game or whatever, <laughs> but, but they're just the language of like, oh, we didn't, you know, they were on our plan or we didn't have the right, uh, way to attack them today or whatever like having it all rest on the pitcher's shoulders in this way is is different and it is interesting 
how that's going to play out if he if he struggles. And I'm not even saying he is going to struggle, but I just think that it's fun to think of the hypothetical, fun, maybe wrong word. Uh, it's interesting to think of the hypothetical where he does struggle because there's really nowhere for him to run. It's like, I I put together the plan and I executed the plan and it was all shit. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. Well, that's uh, when you say the diesel engine needs uh, just needs to warm up a bit more or whatever. Yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> I just think that that'll be an interesting sort of communication dynamic. And is there a point, for instance, I don't know, whatever, seven starts in where he's struggling and the Jays don't like the way he's calling the game? Like, in, will they kind of come to him and be like, listen, this was a cool experiment, but um, we actually don't agree with what you're doing out there. And I, again, I don't really want to, you know, wish cast horrible things for this pitch or anything, but the fact that he's internalized more of the responsibility creates new dynamics we haven't really seen before. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Like, cool. And we talked about this a lot last year with Kikuchi before, you know, we had to talk about all the other things about Kikuchi. Like, uh, uh, the way that the, J- like the Jays wanted him to throw, uh, like, somewhere in between his cutter and his slider, I think, right? Like, they didn't want, they, they, they wanted to, they, they, had, they, had, they wanted to turn him into Robbie Ray. They had ideas about how, you know, his pitches will best you know the optimal way to use his arsenal and and his stuff and etc uh which you know you can't like yeah you can't just tell a guy you signed to big free agent contract you're doing this now like you kind of have to finesse it and it kind of was and and we we saw that a bit at the start of the year with kikuchi i think where they let him they let him fail his own way and and you know uh sort of imparted on him what they what they more wanted to do they eventually obviously had to go away from that because they were just like please get get somebody out please find the plate but uh but that was for a moment at least a conversation uh about like okay how do you finesse like what the what the front office really wants to do and we caught and and like uh while we were talking about this on on tall can audio we just we we did a podcast uh with matt from tall Tall can audio just before we did this one uh, about uh, Barrios at the World Baseball Classic and how the game planning, like Arden Zwelling Sportsnet wrote a piece about how you know the 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 OO um, curveball uh, to Santander that was like was like golfed out. It was a pitch the Blue Jays game planning would never have have uh, have allowed to happen. They would have been livid. He says if they <laughs> if he they'd asked him to to throw that pitch in that situation, uh, and and you know the. But the, you know there is there's just an element of individuality, obviously, and there's an you know you can't you can't just tell these guys, and I think the Blue Jays have been very open about that. And part, it's been part of their entire thing since the you know since the Shapiro and Atkins have come. They're like, well, we're just here. We're like a sounding board. We're here to help them be their best selves and giving them all the resources and everything that we can possibly give them to to be as successful as possible. But the, the, you know they they're they're not demanding buy-in. They're like, we want we want to create buy-in by proving that what we're telling them is correct, which probably the right way to go about it. But as you say, in the sense, in the, in, in the case of a guy like Bassett, who is going to take more of that responsibility onto himself, it does create perhaps a, a trickier dynamic. Cause yeah, obviously uh, it just, it, you know, he, he has, he has his ideas clearly because he's, he's not, it's not going with what the catcher says. And part of it, I think is also efficiency, right? Like, and especially I think with the pitch clock, you know, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense to shake a guy nine times before you get to the pitch that you want to throw. But like, yeah, I think that that, that, that could be a tricky thing. And maybe, you know, I don't know what ideas the Blue Jays have for Bassett. I don't know that he really needs to do anything different than what he's doing, 
but uh, but we'll see. And I, I, have they authorized the uh, pitchers using like calling their own pitches on the pitchcom yet? Is that uh, I, don't I know, know that if that's, that's a thing they're experimenting with. In, in yeah, in, in I, I suspect it it will get like I think it was kind of like pitchcom in the first place. Like last year, they're like, oh, it's not officially going to be here for the season, but then it was just quite a quietly approved, um, which will be very interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, it doesn't. Hopefully, it's not an issue. Hopefully, it pitches really well, and we don't have to care about it. But that that could be a, a, a interesting dynamic for sure. And it'll it'll be odd to see kind of the catchers and, and how they feel about that situation. I mean, I, I'm not saying that Jansen or Kirk are going to come out in the media and be like, "This is dumb. I've got great insight. You should have leaned on me." <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting to kind of watch them perform a role we just haven't seen. Um, so that, that'll be that'll be Buck telling you how yeah we'll we'll it is hear for the catcher about it. to know where the, yeah, yeah, well, I'm so. I'm sure we'll hear about it but the catcher position is going to be one of the things to watch for the Blue Jays this season you know Fangraphs recently put out a list of you know the best positions um you know the a ranking of the teams at each position they had the Blue Jays number one for catcher and I suspect part of that is because they're able to get more at bats out of guys who are nominally catchers, even though some of those will be DH at bats. Uh, there'll be fewer of those to go around with Brandon Belt in house. Like I'm not saying that for basically, I'm not saying that Danny Jansen, Alejandro Kirk are better than JT Real Muto, for instance. Um, right. But they should accumulate potentially more value as a duo than you might see around the world and around the world around the league well around the world i guess they're, they're the most valuable catching duo in the world potentially <laughs> raise uh, that raise that flag <laughs> <laughs> so how do you see this pair in terms of playing time uh in terms of how they'll be deployed this year because last year it seemed pretty simple that the lineup was at its best when both of those guys were in it. So putting them both in it, as long as they were healthy, as much as was realistic, was the way to go. But this season, because you bring Belt in, there'll be matchups where, you know, generally speaking, managers don't want both catchers in the lineup if they can avoid it. So you're not going to have a ton of these DH bats to throw around, especially, you know, Springer's going to have the odd game in there. Vladdy might have the odd game in there. What do you see happening with these two? Because they're both too good i mean jansen's kind of been hurt all the time so it's hard to say you're too good not to play a ton because he hasn't but in theory if he's healthy he should how are you gonna shift these two pieces around the board to make sure they get at bats yeah i thought the fangrass piece you referenced uh was pretty high on jansen which which you know we've talked about it a bunch but it it, it is a remarkable thing i wouldn't we haven't seen him have that long run of health but he just he has been a different hitter over the last couple of years um, and I think that part of why we're going to see them less in the DH spot, and and I I think I'm okay with it. Like just to like the way Kirk wore down last year, you know that that's a guy that you probably do have to con- consider, you know, wear and tear. And and even though it's a great bat that you're going to have on on your bench, maybe more than you know, my, your lineups might not be optimal. But uh, like pinch hitting is, is probably a thing that we'll see more out of him, and hopefully getting pinch runs more. But uh... But that will that will depend on how how willing they are to put Varsha behind the plate, but uh, but yeah, I I I think they're I think they are very obviously a great duo. I think that uh, you know Fangra, I you know I I couldn't tell you who the, the you know I, I'm I'm not going to give my own personal power rankings. I'd have to think too hard about you know what other teams are doing behind the plate. But they're obviously two very capable guys, uh, and yeah, I just I I think that it will probably be a situation where they're not 
they're not DH'd as much. They're just not in the lineup as much. And I think that that will probably irk some people at first uh, early in the season. But ultimately, I suspect that the idea is that they'll be healthier later when it's you know they're they're more needed. And uh, to have Kirk not wear down the way that he did last year, I think would be uh, would be ideal. And th- that seems to be the way to to go. I think they're gonna, you know he's going to catch Manoa every fifth day. Chance is going to catch. Bassett, presumably, yeah, ba- Bassett for sure, and uh, and we'll 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 see from there. They'll have I don't know if who's going to have you know if there's anyone else going to really have a personal catcher. Um, but I don't know. I think they'll just sort of split the split the duties and uh, and the the team. I think will probably be happy with that, even if fans are not necessarily like thrilled with like oh you got a great bat on the bench. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be odd to have games, you know, potentially against division rivals or against tough pitchers, and you've got Whit Merrifield on the team in the lineup and Alejandro Kirk sitting on the bench. Like, it, that's yes, that, yes, that will be weird. Yes, that's not that's not <laughs> what you want. Uh, but also, you know, these guys aren't playing other positions. Like, you know, they tried to do a little bit with Moreno. It's just not realistic. I, you know, at the end of the day, we have conversations like this all the time about players at a variety of positions normally health sort of sorts it out like the chances of Jansen based on his history and Kirk, you know, Kirk's had some little, little injuries as well, especially in 2021. He's on the 60, he's on the 60 yeah. day. Yeah. Not so little injuries. Yeah. Um, chances are there's not going to be these extent or, you know, belt could get hurt. Right. And then you're using them more often than DH spot. Uh, How dare you? <laughs> oh no, the, the guy in his mid thirties uh, <laughs> with horrible knee problems might spend some time on the IL. Um, so I, I do think it'll sort itself out. Like you said, there'll be some unusual moments early on, but it it could also be a little bit performance based, right? Like the best version of sure. Danny Jansen is the best player available, just because I think personally, although which is which is crazy because Kirk is so good. Yeah, but I think the I think I agree. Yeah, yeah. Kirk, but Kirk's fantastic. <laughs> but just like the you know the power that Jansen has brought in these short yeah, stats is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, you know, I think Kirk does have more power than he showed last year. He kind of took a step back in that regard. And guys, as they get older, generally speaking, uh, the power is something that maybe that comes along, and he he shows at least the kind of gap to gap stuff, but. I could envision a scenario like if Danny Jansen is as high, and I don't think this is going to happen because the standard is so high over what he's done last couple of years. But there is a scenario where Jansen hits at the level he's hit in 2022 and 2021 and kind of relegates Kirk to a, like a quasi backup catcher role, which is kind of wild in the context of him being, you know, the all-star catcher last season. I think at the very least, it's fair to say that Kirk probably isn't starting the all-star game in 2023. I'm sorry. Uh, for all the Kirk believers out there. And I'm I'm a big believer in his talent too. I'm not even saying that Jansen is likely to sort of push him out, but I think Kirk's is unlikely to push Jansen out. So he's his best case scenario, as long as everyone's healthy, is sort of, yeah, the timeshare. And maybe it's the 45% end of the timeshare, which is kind of weird for a guy who's so successful. Well, this is why we got to convert Danny Jansen to a right fielder. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've needed a right-handed power bat outfielder. That's what people have been saying for this right? whole time. There we go. Who there does we go. it? You know? Jose <laughs> Bautista cost them plenty of runs out there in right field, so why not have the guy? I, I, would, I would never complain about it. Who's the reincarnation life. of Jose Bautista yeah. do the same thing? <laughs> Another guy on the list here is uh, is someone who you know came up in that com- mini-conversation there, which is Brandon Belt. 
I still think people aren't necessarily high enough on like a guy that Zips is projecting for 132 WRC plus someone who in 2020 and 2021 he had a 162 which was the third best mark in the league over that span like truly an elite level bat until he ran into these injury problems last year we can't pretend the injuries didn't happen He's only getting older. I believe they also happened in 2019 and 2017. Yeah. <laughs> but it's an even, it's an, you know, it's he, like Giants magic. It, it, it takes a year off. He wasn't fully healthy in 2020 and 2021, too. He missed some time during that True. time as well. True. So, but just as a little frame of reference, like that 162 WRC plus, that would have been the second best season of Carlos Delgado's career. <laughs> like in 2000, when he arguably should have won the MVP, he was 179. That was just one of those crazy years. But 2003, which I think we remember as, you know, he had 145 RBI in that season. I think that's, you know, 42 home runs. That's one I know that personally I remember because a lot of those traditional stats, I definitely put more weight in at that time. Like that's considered a big Carlos Delgado year. And that came in at 159. So Belt has been like, the an absolute absolute star in the recent past but he could also be you know last year he was a you know replacement level player below average hitter with no defensive value and that is absolutely on the table and on a team where we've got a lot of established veterans a lot of guys we know to expect from he is such an interesting pivot point and it'll be fascinating to watch i'm not sure we're going to be able to tell sort of early on with him because he's not a loud tools like he's not going to be hit a ball 117.5 miles per hour on opening day and we're like oh brandon belt he's feeling it now like (laughs) that's just not who he is like he's an intelligent hitter he's a disciplined hitter he's someone who you're going to watch and appreciate over time not someone who's going to wow you with individual plays i don't think uh you know it'd be cool to see him hit a 460 foot bomb or something but i just don't really think that's in his bag so it'll be a while i think before we feel comfortable knowing what is Brandon Belt going to give the Blue Jays this year? And it's always going to be with that caveat that the health could totally elude him at any time. And uh, it, it's setting up to be an interesting roller coaster. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was not exactly playing in a hitter's park for a long time. So to display the power that he did in San Francisco, and uh, you know, there, there is a chance that he could hit some bombs here. Uh, but yeah, I think... Uh, Judging him early is going to be a, a, a fool. It's a, a folly, a fool's errand. Uh, he's definitely a guy who's here to you know hit down the stretch and in October. I think you know I don't want to jinx anything, but like the Jays are going to make the playoffs whether Belt's healthy or not, most likely. Uh, so getting to like I don't know, even if it, if it doesn't come together right away, it's more important to not to not really kill him along the way and and hopefully you'll have something uh you know you'll have a real you'll have the guy that you were talking about who was one of the best hitters in baseball over those you know a couple of years uh when september and october happens and i think that's that's a real possibility too but it is definitely going to be interesting to watch the uh <laughs> the the journey to there and i, I think it, I'd like yeah if he's healthy it's it should be real good i mean i think that there's a very good chance even though you know it's always dicey with older guys, but like uh, there is a very good chance that the fact that he played through knee pain and ended needed season-ending knee surgery last year, I think that is probably related to why his numbers looked the way that they did. And I think it is a fair bet to 
to think that if, if the knee feels good, which he says it does, but he should be right back to kind of the guy that he was before. I mean, nothing else should have changed except for, you know, he's a couple years older, which, uh, though at his age, could absolutely change things. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, yeah, I don't want to start looking down. Well, we, we, we learned this week that, uh, that maybe the, maybe Joey Votto will uh, accept a trade to Toronto. Oh, I mean, let's do let's just was. do that now let's get that out of the way let's do this <laughs> tangent now that's uh, so dumb i mean i like it's it's red meat and i don't even really know what motivates it but yes the, you know the reds are ch- i know i know what motivates like i saw like global tv tweeted about it and it's like yeah okay, but it's the reds because it's a guy who put it yeah. out so like what does the reds gm care about global news no, well, but that's why that's why people would even glom onto. Oh, it. I get why people glommed onto it. Yeah, I just don't get yeah. why it got put out there in the first place. And like, yeah, I guess that that is a scenario that theoretically exists in a world where <laughs> like three things have to happen, right? Maybe even four. Like, Jays have to be going to the playoffs and good. Okay, Reds have to be shit. Okay, that's those are both Easy. likely. We got, we got those, yeah. And then Brandon Belt has to disappoint essentially like he's got to be injured or ineffective or, and Votto's got to be effective or, so now i'm on or five Vlad's things gotta be hurt. Yeah. Or, yeah. Vlad, or vlad could be hurt yeah it's true that's not, true. Eh. That's, not. That's, a, that's a whole <laughs> other issue so like yeah we're talking about four or five things coming together for a scenario that Votto has not really seemed too warm about in the past and i again it would be cool late in his career come to the blue jays homecoming everyone would love it i think arguably canadian baseball and has not embraced Votto enough because he's such a fun character and such an amazing player and a possible Hall of Famer and all that jazz. But it, it just seems like a silly thing to put out into the world months and months before it could conceivably come to pass, and it seems awfully unlikely. I agree. Uh, also, like, Votto any good anymore? That's up for debate. <laughs> That's another another That's question. That's up for right? debate. I think I think, he, I think he finished stronger than he started, but I do recall that oh, ninety-two weighted runs created plus last year. Not minus, great. Uh, minus nine point uh, nine, basically a win below replacement level. Yeah, his projections are way worse than Belt's, and I'm not saying that that's a guaranteed that Belt will be better than him, but it's just like Belt's a better bet than him. I think that's fair to say. And so, yeah, what are we doing here? Well, well we're talking about it. We're talking about it. We got sucked in <laughs> briefly. We got sucked yeah. in briefly, and it is it's over. So we, I, I, but I, I'll bet on Belt before Votto, and I love Votto, obviously. But yeah, yeah, I love Belt's Votto, the guy, the character for sure. Uh, not, <laughs> not the middle of the order back. Not the 2023 baseball player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three more things on our list. We've been jumping around. One of them, you know, you mentioned Vladdy just then. I think this is a fascinating year for Vladdy. It's not something dramatic. It's not make or break. We all know that Vladdy's good. Even last year when he struggled in a lot of ways, he had the 132 WRC plus, like an above average offensive player by a significant margin. You know, you could quibble with the gold glove if you want, but also who else are you going to give it to? Uh, First base defense, whatever is fine. But this is going to be an interesting year because like in a world where Vladdy does approximately what he did last year, and that's not my prediction. I think he'll be better. But if he does that, he will then have put together sort of four seasons of him being above average starter and one year of incredible superstardom. And that is an interesting, you know, that's an pro- interesting thing when you're projecting him forward. Like the Blue Jays are coming up in the not too distant future on the decision about, you know, 
Are they going to be able to extend him? If he hits free agency, are they going to take a swing at locking him down? You know, hundreds of millions of dollars are going to be at stake with him. And he's a very different player to invest in if you think he is this, you know, top 10 bat in the major leagues, which is very much in play for him. Or if he's a guy who is really good, but, you know, maybe not as big a needle mover as his name and his one big season suggests. I don't. I think it'll be a moot point in the end. Like if you look at his projections, Zips has him between one forty-eight and one. Not Zips. These are all Fangraphs projection systems between one forty-eight and one sixty for next year. That's like the Nolan Arenado to Freddie Freeman range last year. So they see him as this elite bat. You know, frankly, I see him as this elite bat. But you kind of need to see him do it one more time because he, you know, this is season five and he has only done it once. Not untrue. Yeah, don't do not need another year of uh, Vlad stop hitting the ball into the carpet discourse. Um, but I, I'm with you, and I think most you know most Jays fans hopefully are are on the same page. Like, yeah, he should be able to do it. It'll be fine. Um, and yeah, I hope it's a moot point. I do kind of understand why the you know because the price point if he's the if he's the 2022 version versus if he's the 2021 version is is different. And I guess I get why the Blue Jays maybe are not necessarily lining up with him in terms of what they you know think about a long term contract. But yeah, I mean, this is a this is a guy you should you should sign to a long term contract if you can. I, I mean, I think if we're you know when we're talking like 130 way to run scale plus is like the is the floor. Um, that's, that's a great floor. Let's, you know, we can, uh, I, you know, I, I, I could, I could, we could quibble about, about whether it's good enough based on his talent, but, uh, you know, I think that there's, there's definitely more there. There's definitely a better, you know, command of the strike zone. And I think that he's sort of talked about that, you know, you got, you got to take all the spring training stories with a grain of salt, but they're, they, everything coming out of camp has been, he's locked in, he's, you know, kind of got away from the way that like the the preternatural command of the strike zone that he had in his you know in his minor league and in his ascendancy his minor league career in his ascendancy uh like that's that that that's not a skill that goes away often it's a skill that gets better as players age frankly and uh and it wouldn't surprise me if it did for vlad and i think that there's just there's all the reason to believe that this is uh just the way that he strikes a baseball there it's a it would be silly to bet against him i think yeah, I think, again, like we're laying out a conceivable scenario. The bar is extremely high in terms of that big money extension for a first baseman just because the amount of uh, defensive value you can bring, even as a gold glover, uh, is limited to some extent. And some of the worst contracts we've seen in recent baseball history have been for these first basemen. You know, Eric Hosmer, mm-hmm. Miguel Cabrera, Prince Fielder, um, those guys who looked like pretty safe. Well, I think Hosmer looked stupid from the start. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's not rope that in, you know, but you know, guys like Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder, who you would have said like, these are, you know, middle of the order, absolute studs. Un- well, the, the first, the, the first Cabrera contract. Yes. Yeah. The second one, mm, yeah. not, not as much. Maybe not, but it, it, <laughs> all I'm saying is that they're dangerous waters. Um, and so I think the Blue Jays, would rather yeah see him do it again and be a little bit more certain that he is truly that guy and like i said i believe he's that guy you believe he's that guy blue jays fans who have watched him hundreds and hundreds of times at this point i think but just about everyone believes he's that guy but it's not maybe as certain as it appears to be if that makes sense i i think so and i think that the blue jays you know and and 
you know, they haven't said this explicitly about Vlad, but they, they, they will pay for that certainty. They would rather, rather than risk now giving him 300 million, they'd rather see him do it again and give him four. Yeah, you know, those are. I'm just pulling those numbers out of the air, but I think that they that 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 would be a more comfortable thing for them than than putting that kind of risk in. Which we could debate whether that's right or not. I mean, we watch you know you watch what the, what, what Alex Anthopoulos is doing in Atlanta. You watch you know what's what a lot of these other teams are doing with their young superstars and locking them up when when they haven't really established. Like Corbin Carroll got a crazy contract that uh, which man, I would love to see the Jays do stuff like like that where it's like oh, okay, well there's you know, there's ways for this contract to be even more player friendly if you hit certain levels, and there's ways to build it. Which I thought, would, which I hoped the Chad Green deal was a uh, Chad Green. That's fucking name. Yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> which I hoped sort of portended well for like a Bichette or, or Vlad extension, where okay, yeah, you can you can build things, you can you can build things into the contract, and he'll be here for as long as you want him to be here, and also he can get his. And there's ways to do it. Um, but that doesn't necessarily seem to be their uh, their mo. They seem to be more like happy to happy to pay market rates in free agency for guys. Which uh, cool if you're going to spend the money, that's fine. But uh, yeah, it's all about but, but 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 please but please actually spend the money. Nobody actually trusts this franchise. You know, it's, uh, two years is not going to erase the previous thirty. Yeah, I, again, it, like you said, it's all about if you're going to spend the money. Like if you're going to bring in guys at a huge rate and they're it's about what percentage of payroll are they going to eat up, right? Like Vladdy yeah. at whatever, $40 million is one thing if he's 25% of your payroll and another thing if he's 15% of your payroll. Like exactly. that's what re- that's what really matters because we're not yeah. in a capped world. So, we don't we're never going to know exactly what the Blue Jays kind of internal cap is. Uh, and you know, I think they kind of pursue certain opportunities that are even outside of that. If they feel like they're able to justify them, it's a very common. Oh, a two like a year ago, we would have never even guessed that the we would have guessed the cap was lower than where they're at right now. Oh, absolutely. I think if anything, the Blue Jays maybe have not gotten enough credit this off season for the spending that. Have, and I know that that spending hasn't been them getting some superstar free agent. Uh, but the accumulation of it has been them spending, you know, quite a lot of money and more money than, like you said, we would have thought possible or probable not too long ago. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to move around the diamond here, one spot uh, to the left to second base, because I think that second base is perhaps the most interesting position for the Blue Jays this year. One way to see it is okay, we've got three guys here Biggio, Merrifield, Espinal. And we're just going to play all the micro matchups in the world here. And we're going to figure out who's on the mound and who's the best look. And we're going to be all uh, sort of Tampa Bay Rays about it, which might be the most likely scenario. But you've also got, you know, you've got Whit Merrifield, who is a complicated figure because he finished last season strong. He looked good in spring. He does have, you know, the best track record of these players, but also, you know, getting old, declining in yeah, recent by, years. By virtue of being 34 yeah, years exactly. old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, he's declined in recent years. I don't know if you really trust him to be in the lineup every day against right-handed pitching. You know, I think there's an argument you made that Biggio is your best option against most right-handed pitchers, which is not something that people generally want to hear. But, you know, I think Biggio is also decent at second base defensively. I don't think he's a disaster out there. Um, and so it is a complicated picture. Also... Espinal and Merrifield have somewhat redundant skill sets. What do you see happening at this position? Or is it just like, listen, at the end of the day, this is the 
you know, it's the eighth or ninth spot in the lineup and they're going to get collectively like 1.6 war out of these guys in some combination. And it's just like a, anything that's not a disaster is fine scenario. I would probably say the latter. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, the, the, like they have utility beyond just being able to play second base. Like, I mean, that's kind of why there's three of them. Like they, like Merrifield can play even a pass. Well, passable is maybe a stretch, but you can you can you can throw him in center field if you need to. You can definitely throw him in left field. Uh, Biggio, we've seen him play all around the diamond. Espinal can uh, like is absolutely your backup shortstop and, and is your backup third baseman probably well as well at this point. You know, Addison Barger obviously had a really nice spring. Uh, I looked at it the other day and I was like, oh wait, he's he played like eight games at Triple A. Like, okay, we were getting a little ahead of ourselves on that one, even though he looked pretty pretty good there. Uh, but he's a guy who could be in the mix. I think it should be in the mix. I think it was we talked about you know uh, a couple weeks ago. Like, he's a guy that they probably need to see face major leaguers at some point if they're you know if, considering they're probably going to have to make a decision on what to do with Matt Chapman and what to do at third base. So he's he's there as well in uh, in spirit, if not in body. Uh, and Otto Lopez, I think, was is also a guy who could who could get into the mix there. Though he's hopefully, hopefully in AAA. Hopefully they trade and find like a real like lefty mashing right-handed bat that, that that we don't have to worry about where he plays on the diamond because, like I say, they have versatility in uh, in Biggio, in Espinal, in in Merrifield, and and yeah, they're probably just going to work the matchups, ride the hot hand, which is fine. Like Merrifield's look good in spring. He does have that track record. He's a great base. For, I mean, he's got good instincts on the bases too. And Espinal, no slouch. Um, like defensively, it's kind of, you know, the best second baseman is is not necessarily the, the trophy you want to win. Uh, so that I don't think matters a ton. I think you're right that BGO probably uh, in an ideal world will, uh, will, will see a lot of time there. If he can, if, if he can, man, I mean, if he can hit like he did in the first couple of years of his uh, big league career, then, uh, then giddy up and, and that he can make that job his own very easily, I think. Um, I'm not big on Merrifield, uh, to say the least. Like, which you know, I just I don't know what I'm missing that other people are seeing. Like, I'm just I'm just watching his weighted runs per plus decline every single year. Uh, and and now he's 34. It's like okay, happy happy that he's here. Happy that people like him. Not not nothing against him, but not a not not a guy. That a lot of teams are like, man, we need that guy for our second baseman. Biggio could be that guy if he, if, you know, the way he, the way he looked in twenty nineteen. Perhaps I don't think we're going to see that again. I think that was, uh, for all sorts of reasons, that could be its own podcast, <laughs> the, the whole Biggio thing. But, um, but yeah, it's just it is going to be like the eighth spot in the lineup. Uh, Kiermaier is going to hit nine, and uh, <laughs> and and it'll it'll be fine if they just work the micro matchups and and get guys that. You know, in and out as as in you know dictated by whoever's on the mound. Uh, I, I'm fine with that. Maybe Barger can make that his job. Maybe because you know he just as easily as Biggio, I think, could do it. But eh, whatever. It, it, it is what it is. It, 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 to, to have like a mad attitude about it is is a little tougher this year when you don't also have like Lourdes and Teoscar who've been replaced by Kiermaier and Barjo. Uh, you know, in terms of like what we're going to lose in terms of the uh, the offensive output of that position, but I, I, I think they'll be fine. No, I don't. I, I can't get too worked up about it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you got to keep the seat warm for Bobachet, so you don't want to make too many, too many long term <laughs> commitments. Um, no, and I, like you said, hot hand matchups. Like I think a, a heavily sheltered Biggio can do some things for you. Um, you know, Espinal has shown the ability to mash lefties at some point. Like, 
Merrifield is interesting because he he doesn't probably have the as strong strengths or as pronounced weaknesses as either the other one. So it's like if I had to put someone in there every day, I'd probably put Merrifield. But also on any given day, it seems like there's probably a better option, uh, which is a little bit odd. I, I'll, I'm going to be interested to see what he does on the bases, and this is the this is the final uh, thing to watch on our list of eight here, which is just. How is this team going to look on the bases? We haven't seen a Blue Jays team that makes things happen in terms of stealing bases in quite a long time here, and which is totally reasonable. I don't think that that has to be the case. It's cool when it is, but when it isn't, that's fine. But this year, we've got the big bases, uh, you know, with all those amazing photo shoots of the big base next to the small base. Pizza, pizza yeah, boxes, we, we yeah. all know how that looks. <laughs> and, you know, they brought in Kiermaier, who's like a you know, 90-plus percentile sprint speed guy. They brought in Varsho, maybe not the same raw speed, but uh, has shown the ability to swipe bases in the past. Like, the guy who wins a 26th um roster spot like that's generally speaking going to be a guy who can run unless they bring in a bigger bat but you know lopez or lucas those guys can run a little bit we know that bgo can steal a base espinal too i'm not saying that this team is blazing fast by any means but it does seem to be something that john schneider cares about which is you know putting other teams under pressure on the bases however you want to put that and they have a few more yeah they not like absolute horses like Whit Merrifield's not going to steal you know 30 plus bases like he used to back in the day but they have more guys than you can remember in recent history that should be able to at least have that in their back pocket it should be it should be interesting I mean I'm a little terrified because uh, yeah because <laughs> Schneider does seem to be like yeah let's let's run a bunch I my my instinct is that that's kind of that's minor league bullshit like you know I don't know don't don't run when Vladdy's at the plate. Don't don't uh, don't run when Belts at the plate. Don't run when like most of these guys who can hit are at the plate. Don't don't get an out when you have someone productive at the plate. Run when Kiermaier's uh, at the plate. You can do that. Airfield yeah, absolutely. should absolutely run wild if he's hitting eighth Ab- in front of Kiermaier. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Like that is very very fine. Uh, and you know, yeah, the, the, it looks like, I mean, based on like the minor league data from last year, the stolen bases are up, like uh, the success rates up, but it, it should, it should help them. I think it's going to be like, it's uh, going to be a fun brand of baseball in terms of just like how that does. Like, you know, they, we talked for people talk for years about putting pressure on the defense, but like with the, with the rule changes about like how many times you could throw over and, and, and all that, that, that will like that, that is sort of like more meaningful way than which that will manifest, which I think is good. Uh, and it does give an advantage to guys like the Jays sort of prioritize bringing in like a Varsho, like a, like a Kiermaier. I mean, ultimately, it would just be nice to see guys who are like a little, you know, go go first to third on a single a little more than maybe we saw a little bit last time, uh, like last year. The, 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 I'm not super, as, I'm not as concerned about the stolen bases. I know they're, they're flashy. They'll be fun. We'll probably see more of them this year. Not a ton more. Um, though Schneider, like I said. Does seem does seem to does seem to think that's a good thing. Um, hey, if you do if you do it well enough, then then mathematically it makes sense. I'm fine <laughs> with that. But it's really it's really like the other base running things that I I think and hope the uh, additional you know base running skill and instinct will bring to the team, which are sort of less uh, less easy to see. Uh, but I'll, I'll like overall you know can't can't complain about guys being better on the bases than they were last year. 
Well, I think we talked quite a bit about the 2023 Blue Jays being different stylistically than the previous iterations. And like you said, even if there isn't some amazing surge in stolen bases, like I don't think anyone on this team is going to get 30 or whatever. I think Merrifield projects for 18, uh, which is the most of anyone on the team. I wouldn't be shocked if somebody is above that, to be honest. But it is just from an entertainment standpoint, like a little bit of stylistic difference, just a little bit, a little bit more juice on the bases, whether it's steals or like you said, whether it's first or third, whether it's scoring on, you know, one of those 50, 50 type of bloop singles, things like that, where last year and in the past, there has been that feeling of, you know, this being a bit of a static station to station team. Like here's another right-handed bat. Here's another right-handed bat and they all have power and I'm not saying that this is going to be better from a competitive standpoint, but this is also an entertainment product. And I think that the fact yeah. that there's a little bit more movement potential on the bases just might make the Blue Jays more fun to watch, whether it nets out as a positive or negative in terms of uh, actual run scoring. No, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, it, it, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to give Rob Manfred too much credit, but I think you know, the, these changes and the pitch clock. The, I think it will be good for the product. Yeah, let's let's not give Rod Manfred too much credit <laughs> if we can avoid it. But no, I, I agree with you. I think that baseball this year, there's a lot of optimism to be had about the direction the on-field product is heading in. And uh, it's going to be an exciting year. And that is our eight things to watch for it for 2023. And the next time we talk to you, I think we'll probably be just before opening day would be my expectation or in in that range in and around opening day maybe we'll have one before the season starts maybe not it's tough to predict but we thank you guys for tuning in this time uh we love you know the reviews the stars all that kind of stuff that people do is something we appreciate but also if you're just listening that's fine too and, uh, we'll talk to you next week hey, my name is Hawthorne. I sit here